What's up, guys, and welcome to the We Believe Golden State Warriors Basketball Podcast, a sports ethos presentation. I'm your host, Sam Orlick. Hey, listeners, please take a moment and follow the at Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter, the single most dominant basketball and fantasy news feed on Earth. Get all your NBA news in one handy Twitter feed. It's faster than the competition and provides more analysis, too. Again, that's at Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter. Follow now. Guys, we've got a really special episode today. We've got Corey LeBeau back talking more Golden State Warriors. And this is kind of a long episode, but hit on a lot of really great topics, really talking all things Warriors, some look at the upcoming trade deadlines, um, a little bit of a deep dive into some of the behind the scenes works that's gone into this 8-0 win streak, talking about Kevon Looney, Clay Thompson, Kaminga, Moody, just so much to cover. We couldn't <laughs> it's just too much to cover, really. But it's a really special episode, so without any further ado, I hope you guys enjoy. Hey, what's up, Corey? Hey, Sam. How are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. Just another beautiful Friday down here in sunny Southern California. <laughs> perfect, perfect. How about Love you, it. man? Doing good. Happy it's Friday. Excited to talk Warriors uh, and get into the weekend too. Long, long break for me, long break for the Warriors too. So it works out. I know. Out. It's a little bittersweet though. Like <laughs> three days without Warriors basketball and just like at this moment when it's getting really good and exciting and we're on a win, winning streak again and Clay Thompson's playing well. It's like, man, I got to wait till Monday now. Totally. It's like, oh, it's so good that they get to rest. And then I'm like, wait, but that means there's no Warriors games for me to watch. What <laughs> well, before we get into all of that, there was a little bit of uh, craziness happening today in the NBA um, between the Portland Trailblazers and the Los Angeles Clippers. Little two-team deal here. Um, Norman Powell and Robert Covington leaving the trailblazers in exchange for Keon Johnson, uh, Eric Bledsoe, Justice Winslow, and a second rounder. I wanted to uh, get your thoughts real quick on that. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's nice to see some trades happening. It seems like it's going to be a pretty light trade deadline. I know we've got a lot of like heavy pieces hovering over the deadline, obviously the whole Ben Simmons saga and what's going to happen there, but also Bradley Beal and Damian Lillard starting to leak like, oh, you know, if you did have to trade me, I wouldn't necessarily mind that. And here's where I'd want to go. But um, what, Sam, what do you think about the idea that the play-in game and the fact that the nine and 10 spots now give you a shot at the playoffs what do you think that's done to the overall trade market midseason? Because it just seems like there's so many more ways to convince yourself that you're actually in the playoff hunt and not to just full-on tank and trade your assets. Yeah, I think that's a good question. It definitely adds another layer to what franchises, GMs, coaching staffs, owners have to discuss. Um, I think it just goes to show that you know, franchises are each in all different sorts of places as far as like what are their short-term, long-term goals are and what are they trying to do in a specific season? You know, 
are they trying to appeal to fan, to the fan base and sell tickets? Are they trying to rebuild because they're over it and they want to get play the lottery? Or, you know, if you're like a fringe team, do you just continue to make the top eight and get a first round exit? And so you're starting to see a lot of different teams kind of go through that who have been going through that cycle really kind of get away from that. Like, <clears throat> for example, the Orlando Magic had kind of been perpetually like a top eight or like just kind of like borderline eight, eight, nine, ten team in the East. And they decided to hit the reset. Uh, Portland Trailblazers, yeah. I think, fall into that category as well. And yeah. they're, they're kind of doing the same. So, you know, I, th I think it's I think that in and of itself, adding the plane tournament doesn't change too much, but it does make the conversation much more complicated and difficult for teams to, to decide, hey, what are we going to do? And then also when they have a plan and it, it, things don't go according to plan due to injuries, health and safety protocols, guys not panning out how they thought, mm -hmm. you know, having to make decisions kind of mid-season to like blow it up or make trades or bring in new guys because they feel like they could revamp it or in this kind of... Um, sequence that we've seen over the last five to 10 years where just like coaches just get the ax. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's really interesting seeing all of it happen. You know, I saw the Portland trade come across and I'm like, I'm not quite sure what they're doing. I know this trade puts them underneath the tax, which is, I mean, good for them because they're not really going anywhere. And you think that it's maybe the first start of an overall teardown, figuring out what to do next with Damian Lillard or what to do you know, whether they're trading him or keeping him or anything like that, but they gave up some pretty good pieces. I mean, Norm Powell and Robert Covington, those are good basketball players that I know a lot of playoff teams would want to have. And they traded them to the Clippers for like a bunch of nothing, like a second round pick. And then, I mean, Bledsoe and Winslow, I mean, I guess maybe defensively that's helpful, but not for that team that they're getting. And it seems like it's going to be hard to flip Bledsoe again. So I'm not quite sure what their strategy is unless it's like the first move for more. Yeah, I definitely think both of those teams are going to be looking to make some more moves. I do agree. I did have a similar reaction as kind of like a first take of that, like what in the heck is yeah. Portland doing and what a steal for the Clippers. I think for the Clippers, it's kind of a no brainer. Norman Powell and Robert Covington, they get mm -hmm. a big upgrade. It's scoring. Covington's a great three and D defender and now Clippers with like a healthy Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, whenever that ends up being do look pretty good for the future, as far as being a contender with all these different options at the wing. Yeah. I think for Portland, I was poking around a little bit in Twitter. And of course there's a, a majority of people are like, what the heck is Portland doing? I did see a couple <laughs> Portland people just kind of saying that, um, Keon Johnson is just really underrated and it's kind of like they they were able to flip these guys to get under the tax which was a big part of it and then get this kid that they really want to develop um, but then the weird thing about all of that is the Blazers are one of the teams who don't actually have a G League affiliate <laughs> so, so I don't know it's very bizarre I do think that they're going to make some more moves and I do think it's hard as a fan to understand what these GMs are going through and know what the markets are, because we're not the ones making the calls. And so it's really easy for us to sit here and say, they could have gotten so much more. Who knows? Maybe they tried and they couldn't, and they didn't want to wait 
and they felt like this is the best deal they were going to get, or maybe they had their eye on this kid in the draft and they're like, we missed out. We really want him now. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of different pieces there to those types of decisions. Yeah. Um, you know, Sam, it's also such a warning shot of, you know, with Portland, the whole question was hovering. Well, can you win, win big with a core of Dame and CJ? And Damian Lillard, you know, Oakland's finest, diet Steph Curry, great player, fantastic, like approaching top 10 on his best days. But pairing him with a backcourt person who's also kind of doing the same thing, like a small dude who generates offense and is a good shooter and kind of crafting the mid-range, defensively, it never worked. And people were calling for them to break it up earlier and earlier and earlier. And they never did. They were like, this is our team. And what did it get them? You know, they got one Western Conference Finals against the KD-less Warriors a few years ago. And now those primes are completely gone. Like CJ McCollum probably had a ton of trade value like last year or two years ago. And now because of his like, I mean, really horrific injury, a collapsed lung, that's terrifying. You never know what's going to happen. And it shows you the risk of holding on to this stuff for too long instead of making these decisive moves. Yeah, that's definitely a good point. I've been also one to kind of criticize Portland, like you can't have two net negative defenders in your starting backcourt and not have the best offense in the league to offset that. And so Portland typically found themselves as like a regular season team who was good enough to, to win on any given night. But when you get into a seven game playoff series, they didn't have enough pieces around them offensively to outscore the opposition and not enough, and also not enough pieces defensively to stop the other team. Um, yeah. And so, and just, like, not even the Utah jazz esque like regular season juggernaut, you know, like they were kind of around like four, five, six range the entire time. And they, you know, played hard. Like Damian Lillard's a great playoff performer, great in the game, like clutch guy. So they ended up overperforming a little bit in the playoffs, but yeah, it just didn't, it seems like they waited a little too long and now I'm not sure what they do. And I love, you know, Damian Lillard wanting to be the guy in Portland forever, obviously as a Warriors fan with Steph, like it's been so much fun watching Steph Clay and Draymond grow up together and develop this chemistry and develop a culture. And from everything I've read, Damian Lillard's like a fantastic clubhouse leader and sets cultures like that himself, but they never found the right pieces or the right coach or anything else to really capitalize on it. And now that era seems to have passed him by a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, they definitely seem to be heading towards rebuild unless, you know, we'll see what happens in the next, the next week. Uh, we've got what, six days, uh, February 10th is the trade deadline. So we've got six more days of trades before all said and done. And I think, you know, quick, just a quick point there before we, before we kind of get back to the Warriors, um, it kind of just speaks to how, if you don't have a unified organization from ownership to front office, to coaching staff, to players, how, how things like this can come to pass, which Warriors fans know all too well with all the mismanaged years under Chris Cohen and other, um, yeah. and others. And so, you know, we can kind of think, you know, for whatever you say about Joe Lacob, he does seem to at least assemble the right staff to be 
building this incredible franchise that is on the rise yet again. Yeah. Um, you know, Joe Lacob definitely talks more than maybe I'd like an owner to talk, but from all the reports, they do such a good job at like collective intelligence and having a council of folks where they all debate back and forth and whatever decision they end up going with, whether it's the right or the wrong one, they seem to be aligned on how to do it. And that goes top down to the players as well. So Steph and Draymond know what's happening and are on board too. So yeah, you can't overstate it. So talking about the trade deadline, what do you think, um, what do you think the Warriors should or shouldn't or might find themselves doing over the next week? Whew. Well, that's kind of the big question, right? And I feel like with all the assets the Warriors have piled up over the past couple of years with the draft picks and everything, that's been the big question hovering over it. Like, do you make the trade for a win-now move with to pair Steph, Clay, and Draymond with another person of their ilk and caliber? I think... Sam, Let me simplify I, the question for you here. Are yeah. there any players out there, regardless of availability of the teams looking to trade them, is there anyone out there that really moves the needle for you that you would be like, man, if we could get player X, that would just really push this team over the edge? Honestly, Sam, no. No, there isn't. <laughs> and the reason why it's twofold. One, the Warriors are playing so well right now anyways that I'm just not sure like what – we haven't even seen them at full strength because – Clay, and we're going to talk about Clay going dumb unconscious in the game yesterday. We haven't even seen him with Draymond. Like, we haven't seen this final form of the Warriors. So it seems like not the right move to cannibalize what they have now to improve a product that we don't even know how good it is. But the other thing, Sam, is that it takes a second for these players to understand how the Warriors play. And I think that's one of the reasons they never really make these mid-season trades or any, any like really consequential ones because Kerr knows and the team knows it takes a minute to actually get into the offense, to learn this read and react system, to be able to improvise and play off of Steph Curry. So bringing in someone, regardless of how good they'd be even next year with them, but to sacrifice the chemistry and the machinery now for that, it seems unwise is what I would say. Yeah, 100%. Um, do you have any concerns about the lack of depth at center? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so having said all that, yeah, definitely. How could you not, right? Especially with Draymond being out with his back. And then Otto Porter didn't play, isn't played the last two games because he had some back issues too. And I've seen on Twitter people say, maybe it's just you know, these smaller guys playing a position up, right? Fours playing fives, threes playing fours, and the wear and tear that that comes. It would be great if we could get another big. And I think that's what really stinks about the Wiseman situation is I really thought that they, they were going, they were planning on having Wiseman in as that backup center, as another big body to throw out there. And that looks like it's not, if it's coming, it's going to be at the very end of the year and not really in any kind of playoff consequential way. Yeah, all, all really solid points and I'm in agreement. I think the challenge is also Steve Kerr's defense isn't above the rim. It's lateral movement and switching. So mm -hmm. I don't even know what names are out there. Like people toss around Miles Turner, but Turner's an above the rim defender. You don't, Turner doesn't switch out onto smalls 
and keep them in front, um, nor does Turner rebound. So yeah. who would you even go get that would be able to execute what Steve Kerr is looking for defensively? And sure, we're, and I hate to say this and I'm gonna knock on wood, we're one Kavon Looney injury away <laughs> from being in a serious hole, but the Warriors don't have any pieces to move outside of veteran minimum deals unless you talk about moving Wiseman. And even then, you know, Wiseman's 10 million a year salary, if you wanted to go up and get somebody like a Miles Turner, you'd likely need to include like a Kavon Looney. So then you're talking yeah. about trading Looney and Wiseman for Turner, deal with all the chemistry issues. And, you know, and I think we've talked about this on our last uh, our last show together for me, you know, Looney's untouchable. Looney is really um, a culmination of everything that Steve Kerr wants in a player. He just does all the little things. He doesn't really make mistakes. This is his best season to date. He's still very young. He's not nearly, you know, in his prime. And, you know, sure, maybe you know, given all his injury prone years and all of that, maybe that, you know, we're kind of, this is just um, an irregularity in, in his career, but right now he's playing incredibly well and has been healthy. And I don't think anyone else comes in and does anything near what he does with this win now mentality and then builds the chemistry necessary to actually play meaningful minutes in a playoff series when you expect to have Draymond Green back and potentially James Wiseman as well. So, yeah, I, I think, yeah, go on, Sam. Um, I think Bob Myers is definitely exploring options for sure. I don't think he's just not answering the phone. I'm sure he's making calls, but I mean, to, I'm in agreement with you. I don't know if there's anyone out there that I'd even really want. Um, and that even includes like a Kevin Durant because <laughs> the Kevin Durant Warriors are nowhere near, in my opinion, what the 73-win Warriors are, what the Warriors are this year, which is just this more free-flowing, read-react, everyone's-on-board system. And sure, you know, I without Durant, we might have lost to the Chris Paul Houston Rockets um, in the Western Conference Finals, for sure. But, you know, that's behind us. And I think if you're talking about what this team could do and all these different pieces and all this youth and development with all these, with all these vets, any type of move that you try and make is, is going to be pretty difficult to pull off without really messing with that chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot there, man. I don't know if they're better than the KD warriors. They're certainly more fun to watch. They're more fun to watch with how much joy they play with, how they move the ball around. Um, and it's, you know, even if you got a player who talent-wise is an upgrade, again, it's not necessarily about the talent. It's also about the fit and the smarts, too. You get someone who's maybe more talented than Looney. Looney is perfect for the Warriors because he knows how to screen for Steph. He knows where to go. He knows how to pass the ball and what reads to make. That stuff is invaluable. And you see it when Draymond comes back, the way he, he's able to do it, too. Looney... Goodness gracious. He's playing the best ball of his career. It's been so fun to watch him play and also fun to see him kind of like strut his stuff a little bit. He's been confident. He's been fighting for all the rebounds. He's been playing bigger than he is and more aggressive finding his shot. 
it's been really great. He absolutely deserves, and I'm not watching every single team, every single game. So, you know, there's a lot of players in the NBA, but he's playing at an all defense caliber this year, whether it's first or second team, he's, he's guarding the rim. We know when it's not like a Joel Embiid kind of person, I mean, who can guard that anyways, but with like the way the league's pretty small right now, anyways, he's more than enough center for everybody. And then he can stretch out to the perimeter, which we saw in those Houston series against Chris Paul and James Harden. He's like, knows how to handle himself when he's switched out onto a small guard. So it's so much more than just the talent. It's the fit and then how it ripples through everything else. And I think the team knows and Myers know and Lakeham knows and Kerr knows that what they have right now is too special to overturn the apple cart. And frankly, like they're not going to trade Wiseman for a piece when Wiseman's at literally the lowest possible value he could have in his career. Like that's just not good business sense for them. So I think they'll probably stand pat. What I'd like them to do, Sam, is, you know, there's always a bunch of buyout candidates after the trade deadline. I don't know who's going to be available, but just getting some kind of big body to come in on a buyout contract, maybe they, you know, I know Chris Chioza played really well against that really wonderful Spurs comeback, but getting rid of him and then getting another, a bigger guy on a two-way, just because that is something we need more of a fit situation. But I wouldn't want to break up the team. And frankly, I don't want to trade the young guys right now because it's fun to watch them. It's fun to watch them. Yeah, any any type of buyout big would have to be probably at the expense of JTA, Bielitsa, or Damian Lee, who I'd say are kind of the fringe of the 15-man roster. Mm-hmm. I do think that's an option to kind of swap a Chioza for another guy on a two-way. But then all of that being said, if you're thinking that Draymond might be back in the next month, how realistic is that a two-way is going to come in and play meaningful minutes as like the backup big? Um, yeah. And, you know, as we saw, like Curry, um, when Jordan Poole went through health and safety protocols and Curry had to miss a few games, there was a time where Chioza was really the only option at point guard and you know, I got to give him props for, for the player that he is. He knows his role. He looks miles and miles better than uh, Brad Wanamaker or even Nico, <laughs> Mani- Nico Mannion. So, you know, I do think that there's something to be said about having that point guard depth for, I think, the time when the time comes that Steph maybe starts getting some rest as the season comes to a close, as maybe, you know, Jordan Poole's just continuously taking it um, and hitting and getting contact and just every time he gets, he gets into the air and, and just falls down hard. He gets up no problem, but I just hold my breath. Like, Oh man, is this going to be it? Cause he just goes in fearlessly. So, yeah. um, I totally agree with you that that could be an option that they, what they want to go. But at the same time, I think Chios has done a pretty good job as like that third string backup point guard for the Warriors. Yeah. You know, it also goes to show how much better this team is than last year, where Chris Chios would probably be in, like, the closing lineup last year. Oh, my God, uh, yeah. At the end. And now he's, like, just on the fringes of the rotation because uh, it's just been such an upgrade. Yeah, you know, it's – all of this is just to say – it's just season management, right? It's Draymond's right. back is sore. Otto Porter's back is sore. Bielitsa's out. It's just how can we make sure that we have enough big guys – we might not even need it because we're comfortably in the top tiers for the record. And, you know, it's kind of fun watching JTA and Kaminga play like very small big men at this point. 
But I had to say, Sam, during this like rough stretch that we had, which I mean, has turned into a winning streak, but you know, as after Draymond went down there figuring out themselves, Bielitsa has just been a turnstile on defense. And he probably always was, but there was Draymond and Looney to cover for him. But it was tough to watch for a little bit. And it was like, yeah, it looked really thin up there. Something clicked right before he got hurt where he kind of figured out that, or maybe it was Kerr figuring out the rotations. He started playing more at the top of the key and being the facilitator rather than a JTA or something. And he did pretty well. Something kind of clicked in him those last two games. It'll be interesting to see when he does come back, if he can be a little bit better, but I was getting real sick of uncontested layups and people just driving right through him for point blank baskets. Yeah. He had a really brutal stretch where he just couldn't put the ball in the basket for the life of him taking deep 30 foot threes when he could just take a step in and still have time to shoot it. The kind of confidence that he started the season with had, had really just kind of dwindled away. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I told, I agree. He had a couple games before he got hurt where it was like four dimes and six dimes. And yeah, he's more than comfortable, like being the guy to handle and transition and find the open man. And he was having some success there. He was also doing a pretty good job of getting into the paint um, rather than just settling for threes, which is what he was doing at the start of the season. Um, but yeah, that has always co- kind of been his downfall is guys just get blow right past him to the rim. Um, yeah. And, you know, when he came on, it was like, wow, you know, really talented guy, a good shooter for a big man. Wonder why he couldn't stick around with Miami. Like, what's going on? And then you see him play defense. It's like, oh, yeah. For a minute, it looked like this man would not touch the floor in, like, real playoff minutes. But it's really a testament to this Warriors bench and the depth that they have. Because, Sam, I'm realizing, like, depth doesn't mean every player is good all the time. It means that through the flows of the season, you get to kind of plug in who's playing well at this moment and find the right combinations. So Damian Lee started off really strong. Then he was hurt. He struggled to get back. And now he's playing as good as he was at the beginning of the season. Same with like JTA and Kaminga. They're finding themselves. Moody's finding himself. You're able to measure the ebbs and flows of a season and weather all of these storms. It's been pretty cool to watch. And I think Kerr's done... I mean, he needs to start getting some kind of coach of the year consideration because he has managed, you know, I guess like every coach this season, all the COVID stuff, all the injuries, but being able to plug in the right lineups, starting Moody, starting Porter, finding these different combinations that are working. And also something he wasn't doing much last year, noticing when we went into our rut, when our offense completely disintegrated, being like, okay, what do we need to do here? And going with more of a guard lineup and having Poole and Peyton come in at the same time rather than adding in another big guy. Flexing around with those lineups and they've really seemed to rediscover their mojo. Yeah, 100%. I think Steve Kerr's uh, perpetually underrated for his chops coaching um, and managing this roster of um, you know, future Hall of Famers, aging vets, and very high upside but raw young talent yeah and you know sam it's like i love warriors twitter we're all a bunch of insane maniacs but <laughs> oh my god when, yeah <laughs> whenever anything goes wrong they're so quick to blame kerr and i'm like yo i mean i i've gotten mad at steve kerr as much as anybody but steph curry going through the biggest lump of his career that's not 
just the rotations here. That's like Steph, Steph's missing open shots at a certain point, and you just kind of got to live with it. And Steph being a grown-ass man, figuring out what he's got to do as a Hall of Fame player, is fixing it. But that's not, like we, we sometimes, I, need to, I want everyone to rein it in a little bit. I'm trying to find some excuse. Yeah, Warriors Twitter is interesting. There's a lot of there's a lot of Steph Curry fans that aren't Warriors fans, and there's a lot of Steve Kerr haters, and there's a lot of mm-hmm. Wiggins haters. There's a lot of Wiseman haters. Um, I mean, at some point, you got to just trust the organization and the franchise. I think that they learned their lesson from playing Wiseman last season, um, kind of outside of his role, and they've really done an incredible job, like you said, of plugging in the role players at the right times, putting them in places to be successful. I mean, Moses Moody, my goodness, he just was, you know, completely out of the rotation simply just via the depth chart and Mm -hmm. couldn't hit a three for his life through the first, whatever, 30 ish games, which was kind of, you know, what we expected or not what we expected because he was kind of touted as this three and D guy. And then here he is in the last three games shooting 11 of 20 from three, this explosive rebounder, hustle player who's just coming up with big plays at the right times. Um, I'm seeing a lot of uh, Jason Richardson and him and just his game and not being this kind of like tweener, like three and D wing, but like having some beef and bulk kind of like Wiggins and, and being able to battle for boards and also having some explosiveness and getting to the rim. I mean, he is just perpetually in the right place at the right time, kind of like Looney to, to get rebounds or fight for rebounds, whether it's to knock them away to a teammate, like what was needed in the win against San Antonio, um, or just being the first guy to the ball. Um, offensively or defensively Um, and then starting to hit his threes and the game is seeming to slow down for him. So I've been really impressed with his play as of late. Totally. You know, it's so much, it's been really fun to watch him and it almost, not that it unlocked something different than the team. It's just, wow, one more weapon, like one more quick trigger shooter who can make it and is willing to shoot it. What I love about Moody is that he really didn't play well at the beginning of the season. He was like, we've seen the graphics on the, on the broadcast, like shooting at the beginning of the season was just really lousy. He was clanking all of his open shots. And then now it's going in and I love using the G league and using the Santa Cruz warriors. He's been dominating in Santa Cruz and going on the road with the G league team and the confidence it's not just in shooting it because he was shooting it before. It's actually all of the hustle and energy. He's like, I am going to make an impact while I play. And it's not going to be through forcing different possessions or driving when there's no opportunity or shooting a not open shot. It's going to be by getting to the ball, getting on the floor, hitting the boards. And yeah, that was the most fun part of the Spurs game was watching these young baby warriors just dive on the hardwood for that win and scratch and claw for it. And we don't really see the Warriors like out working out muscle teams like that when they're coming from behind. It's usually, you know, they're like floating ahead of them the entire time, you know, flexing and making bombing threes and celebrating and playing with joy. It was kind of fun to see this more like hard, scrappy young Warriors a little outmatched, but not giving up and then coming away with the win. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Quick aside on that on that Spurs game um, that I'll share. So I uh, I do a little bit of sports betting here or there, and had been kind of on a you know Warriors were on a streak, so I've just been 
betting betting uh money line for the uh for mm-hmm. the Warriors and the morning of the Spurs game I hadn't they hadn't yet come out with the injury report and I decided to put most of my uh winnings on the Warriors um <laughs> and then saw like everyone was gonna sit and like well there goes that Shoot, and there you it go. was uh man, it just made that game so much more intense, frustrating, and then incredible at the end to just see them come <laughs> you got the You got the extra incentive there to watch them claw back. But it really does speak to kind of what we were saying earlier about having this chemistry and this deep team and, and guys understand the opportunity that they're presented with and trading away three or four of those guys to bring in um, a more established player, maybe you don't win that game in San Antonio because that that mentality and that chemistry isn't quite there. Um, and you yeah. think like you just go into it thinking like, eh, we got this. We still have, you know, whoever Bradley Beal or, who, you know, whoever you go out and get. Um, and so these, this team is scrappy and this team does have, this team can have a very different identity without kind of the main stars as we saw. Kaminga, Moody, Damian Lee, Jordan Poole, um, Looney—they all—they all have something to offer. They're all deserving of minutes. They all understand when an opportunity is made available to them, how to make the most of it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I just give a lot of credit to Moody to sticking with it as a rookie, not getting a lot of minutes, getting sent down to the G League. A lot of guys might have taken that as a demotion, and he's just kind of continued to work on his game. And I think it just kind of goes back to what Jordan Poole, the culture that Jordan Poole has kind of set upon the Warriors young players as far as you put in the work and you keep at it and you might have a couple down months or even a a couple down seasons. Your role might flex and change through the ebbs and flows, but your opportunity will come and make the most of it. Um, And Damian Lee knows that all too well. Like we said, kind of really strong at the beginning of the season, fell off through injuries. His shot didn't look good when he came back and yeah, he definitely set the stage in that Spurs game as far as like being a guy who can get a bucket, who can play hard. Mm-hmm. It's funny, my wife and I always laugh every game. Damian Lee always gets thrown down to the ground by somebody because he's always that guy having <laughs> to, having to, you know, undersized guard, having to guard a center or a power forward or something like that. Somebody who's just significantly bigger than him. And he continues to fight uh defensively and for the rebounds and just always gets thrown to the ground you're like yep there there goes lead to the floor again yeah definitely yeah totally he all he's always on the floor but he's he's not a pushover like he really he really fights for it you know it's it's special watching these young these young players sam and what we're hitting on is they're getting opportunity it's not a chance to score as many points as they don't get to normally it's not a chance to show that they belong in the nba they're showing steve kerr and the rest of the team that they can be out there when it matters and that was the difference between the spurs and the warriors when it came to that fourth quarter and it got really into gut check time the spurs are trying to win a game and the warriors are trying to win a championship so even though they're kind of outmatched, like if you put like a Jordan Poole G League Warriors, they probably wouldn't be a great team the entire season, but they know what it's like to actually be competing for a championship because that's what Kerr and Steph and Dre are bringing on down. So when it actually comes to winning time, one team knows how to win and is learning, getting better at it. And one team is just, you know, 
This is they're trying to get one more win for the record, not for the actual pursuit of it. It's fun to watch. It's fun to watch. And the chemistry that they have just from being on the G League together too. It's, you know, it almost makes me emotional watching Jordan Poole and Damian Lee and JTA like share the court together because they all played together in the G League as well. Yeah, for And sure. the, what the Warriors have been able to do is have that culture both ways and bring them up like almost like a farm team in ways way better than any other team. I mean, going back to Portland doesn't even have a G League team. Right. So just the infrastructure it's and really a very important. San Antonio-esque way, just the perpetual continuation of growth and development and maintaining success. I mean, we're we're seeing the the workings of the Warriors franchise 10 years from now, you know? Yeah. Assuming that, you know, nothing changes and we don't have a crystal ball, but these are the pieces that are going to be around in 10 years as um, the vets are are reaching kind of the end of their uh, end of the year years. Totally. And I mean, it's, they look good, Sam. These guys look good. Draymond had this long interview. He's talking about Kaminga and Moody with his, you know, he had a lot of press yesterday after he got named to being an all-star, four-time all-star <laughs> Draymond Green. You know, and he's talking about how both of them will hopefully make an all-star team, both Moody and Kaminga, because they're good players. And we're not even talking about Wiggins, who, you know, feels like he's been in the career, in the league forever. He's young he's still young still and 26 yeah. it's crazy this so, team's insane honestly i mean if you if the, you gotta think if the warriors can come up with the ship this year and Leica decides it's worth to continue to reinvest in these guys if you keep this this group together and you know maybe upgrade at the fringe of like bielitsa whatever um i mean this is going to be a really good team for a long time um, and we haven't even seen James Wiseman, James Wiseman play yet. We haven't even seen Draymond Green come back into this group. Mm-hmm. Um, but these young players, you know, exactly to your point, they are playing the right way. They have the best mentors around them. They have the right coaching staff enabling them. They're willing to sacrifice and and make kind of team first, champion first decisions and not thinking about me, my numbers. You know, you have... Um, Jonathan Kaminga going through spurts where, you know, one game he, you know, he hits four threes and he's got like 25 points in 20 minutes. And the next, you know, he's like one for eight in San Antonio. And then the fourth quarter comes up with like seven or eight huge buckets because he just puts his head down and gets to the rim and plays some terrific defense. Um, And so it's been really enjoyable to watch these guys kind of blossom and grow into their roles and find them, find themselves as the games are going on and, um and win you know i i totally agree with you that that stretch of january where the warriors were really struggling steph curry slumping clay thompson's back but he doesn't look good you know it was like looney and otto porter were like the really the only bright spots yeah and and then occasionally jordan pool and wiggins it's like what version of pool and wiggins were we gonna get um and now you just see everything come together and we're hitting threes. The defense looks good. We're playing within the flow of the system. Um, and it's not like we're blowing out teams, but I mean, we're executing uh, a lot better than we were before. And I think it's kind of a blessing in disguise to go through those stretches when we did 
I think we kind of talked about that a little bit um, on our last episode together. It was just kind of like the, the dog days for the Warriors. And now we're seeing the benefits of getting through that and the benefits of Draymond getting some rest, which he arguably needs, um, regardless of his injury, you know, for this for this uh, deep postseason run that the team wants to go on. And getting Kaminga and Moody uh, these minutes is invaluable. Um, it's It's really, we're really starting to see what they're, upside can be and and that they can play meaningful minutes in a series you know whether that's like six minutes uh uh in a quarter because somebody gets into foul trouble or Mm -hmm. safety protocol or injury um you know these guys are ready next man up because they were afforded opportunities earlier in the season so um and it's really fun to watch i love to watch the young guys develop because that's like the fun part it's like we all know what Steph Clay and Draymond can do and I love watching that too but it's also fun to see like Kaminga do a 180 windmill dunk and transition (laughs) and you know sometimes we get them both like in the Kings game yesterday when we get uh, back to back the Kaminga dunk and then the Clay crazy leaning three-pointer um just back to back we get to see both generations do what they do best it's it's so much fun watching these young guys, Sam. And it's the reason we fell in love with the Warriors in the first place. Cause we watched clay, you know, Steph was kind of already like a vet at that time when they started making their title runs, but clay and Dre were young when they started to go to the playoffs and seeing them grow up through it, we get to watch these new baby dubs do too. And something that was so special about the Spurs game, there were two things why it was one of my favorite games of the season. One, Steph just looking good AF in this like velour tracksuit, standing up next to Steve Kerr, coaching the guys, saying stuff to Jordan Poole, and then just celebrating like a maniac when all of that was happening in the fourth. That just warmed my heart to see. I mean, so we talk about why the Warriors culture is so good. It's that man right there who's celebrating these, you know, teenager successes as much as he would his own. And then also what you brought up about Kaminga, like really playing lousy in the first three quarters, especially that first half, looking like he had no idea what he was doing, lost on defense, overhauling the offense, bricking three pointers, like just clanking off the backboard. Like I'm just heaving it up there. And then through the course of the game, through the coaching, through the flow, through whatever, figuring out what he needs to do and kind of just gaining steam and coming out with that huge fourth quarter, that's incredible to watch a 19-year-old do that. And Sam, like, could you imagine James Wiseman doing that last year? That never happened. A tough start and then coming back from it and being confident and ending on a high note. And that's not to say he... Yeah, Wiseman knew he was going to play 30 minutes a night no matter what. Right. It's kind of like, ah, well, I'm, I'm going to start and play because who else is there? So whether I play well or not, it is what it is. So, yeah, totally. Yeah. Like, totally I guess different. not having to earn the minutes in the first place and not being, a, I, you know, he seems like I don't want to cast any aspersions on his character. He's still a teenager, you know, maybe not a teenager yet, but he's still very young as well. And I'm sure he'll yeah. get there. But that was one of the things it was like so mental with him last year and having to like boost up his confidence. It's just seeing the growth that Kaminga's already made from the start of this season to now, from the start of the Spurs game to the end of it, it makes me excited for when Wiseman does come back. Like, even though he's not playing a whole year of just absorbing NBA basketball, kind of like 
you remember, you know, Blake Griffin and Ben Simmons, both number one picks who couldn't play their entire first year. And they came out like gangbusters when they actually were rookies. And I think a lot of that is like they had a whole year to absorb NBA rhythms, even if they didn't absorb NBA play. Yeah, IQ. So I think I'm excited to watch them all play. And I, I hope Wiseman comes back eventually. So he can be part of this like young baby dub format too. Yeah, we did kind of get a little bit of an update from Bob Myers um, yesterday, today about, well, it's kind of continues to be a non-update of, it's really frustrating. (laughs) He continues to make progress. It's kind of like a wait and see approach. He needs to clear one hurdle after another before he can kind of advance to the next step. First, it's one-on-one, then two-on-two, then three-on-three. It's looking at the swelling and how the knee responds and all of that. Um, But going back to your earlier point, I think it speaks to the organizational changes that were made from last year coming into this year, Um, the overhaul of the coaching staff, the developmental coaches, getting Andre Iguodala on the bench, you just have, and then the engagement of Draymond and Curry and Thompson, you just have all of this incredible wealth of basketball IQ, Mm -hmm. and then also the mentality of like, this is, this is our investment for the, for the vets is like, we need to invest in these young players, like us giving them our, giving them our knowledge is only going to make us better. So pulling guys aside during timeouts or after games or in in games and, you know, helping them understand what they're doing or adjustments that can be made. And then we're starting to see the young guys really put that together because they feel entrusted and you know Andrew Wiggins was asked about this when he was named an all-star um doing a post-game interview how he feels about being a warrior and one of the things he mentioned that really stuck with me is it's like a family um he feels like supported and loved and and this group of guys with this really tight-knit bond and they're going to give you tough love and tell you when you make a mistake but it's not because they want to grill you or call you out it's because they want you to be the best you can be and so the warriors have really gone out and gotten these high character guys who can deal with hey, you effed up, you made a mistake, what are you doing um, in a constructive way? And we, you know, we saw Wiseman, this 19-year-old, do that in the middle of a game, which is incredibly rare for a rookie. And so I do mm-hmm. hope that having James Wiseman, you know, spend a year plus kind of on the sidelines and see that culture and help him to buy into that and, um you know, yeah, we can kind of look ahead and, and be like, man, this is what he could be as well um, in this opportunity of having a little bit more basketball IQ, which is something he looked like he was really missing at times last season. Yeah. And, you know, the, the culture has been so tremendous, Sam. I, I loved that Wigan, Wiggins quote about, you know, it's like I found a home here. Gary Payton said the same thing I saw where he was like, you know, I feel like I found a home here. I hope I get to re-sign and stay. And I hope he does too, because goodness gracious, do I love the baby glove. But it's really impressive how they've created a culture of, it's not just about, you know, your skill on the court, it's how well you understand the system and how well you play with each other, your attitude when you check in the games and the coaching support that they got is not just for the young guys. You know, we, we were just, we started this podcast by talking about how good Kevon Looney's been, you know, you don't think having like the, uh, what's his name? Milovic, Milovic or whoever the new Serbian guy is who they brought on 
a lot of it was to work with Wiseman. You don't think having him in Kevon Looney's ear, helping him with these angles, with the rebounding, like it's clearly made a difference because he's made the biggest leap of his career too. So it's yeah, not you, just... you touched on that earlier about Looney's aggressiveness on offense, which has been a sight to see. Like Kevon Looney would never catch the ball at the top of the key, look, look, wait, wait, nothing's there, and then just go one dribble straight to the rim dunk. Yeah, yeah. It's been, I mean, he's playing much more like Draymond. And I think that's been maybe if you could track in the biggest plus of the Draymond being gone, other than Draymond being rested and healthy and completely 100% ready to go for the playoffs, which would be the best thing. But Kavon Looney discovering his inner Draymond, his like, I'm going to organize things on defense. I'm the ones talking to everybody. I'm going to get this effing rebound. Because quite frankly, I have to. And if I don't, they're going to score. And him finding his inner dog has been so cool. And that's going to be really helpful in the playoffs. And again, just knock on all of the wood that nothing happens to our poor loon dog. (laughs) He's doing a lot. He's doing a lot. It goes to show, though, you know, you got to bring in the right guys. Because you bring in a Brad Beal or a James Harden or... Uh, ben Simmons. I mean, there's there's a lot of NBA players, you know, 450 players in the NBA, even more in the G League. There's a lot of deserving, talented players, but just because you have talent or athleticism or size or strength doesn't mean that you have the character to withstand criticism, to withstand shooting slumps, to withstand adversity, to put in to put in the hard work to be willing to make sacrifices. And so just speaks to this roster that's been constructed going back to um, bringing over Andre Iguodala, who's willing to come off the bench and how Mm -hmm. that has really evolved and been contagious with this mentality. And we even see Curry uh, in Curry's play now where Curry's not taking 30 shots a game and he's deferring because it's all about what this team is is about. It's good shots to great shots. It's one night Curry is feeling good and, and he's going to put up 15 threes and another night Clay Thompson's going to go six for six from the three-point line in 20 minutes in a first half. And so it's contagious. Every you know, How do you, when your best player, one of the best players in the world, maybe one of the best shooters of all time, probably the best shooter of all time, is saying, yeah, you know what, I, I could take this shot, but I'm going to pass it up to you because you're open and I want to get you going. Like, yeah. who doesn't want to play in that system? But it's definitely not for everyone. Um, and so just got to give a lot of credit to the front office for bringing in the right pieces because we saw last season where you don't have the right pieces and the product looks completely different. Totally. I mean, we don't have to look any further than Kelly Oubre, right? You know, that man is a talented dude. He can defend, he can shoot threes. He's got a great above the rim game and he did not fit with the Warriors at all and really gummed up everything they were trying to do. And now you watch him on the Hornets with freaking LaMelo ball. And that man made like 10 threes in a game or something. It's crazy. So it just goes to show one of the best parts about basketball is how you know, it's both individual and it's a collective. Like you've got to have your own style and you have to really organically connect with everyone else on the court and cultures evolve and you have to find the right folks. And it's prioritizing that when you've got a player like Steph, 
who's making everybody else better. It's not about how can these pieces make me better. It's how do I make everyone else better? How does the team win in a very like Tim Duncan Spursy way? It's cool to see. It's cool to see. And I'm not, you know, that's not to say that you bring in one of those guys like a Bradley Beal or a Pascal Siakam and they wouldn't work with the Warriors, but it's not just about, this isn't pickup basketball, you know, it's not let's draft the best players and then roll them on out. You've got to consider the fit. Yeah. And that's um, a little bit, that's one of, I think the issues with kind of this Twitter talk of trades and uh, perspective trades. And you talk about theoreticals and and stuff and you got to look at the product that's already on the floor. And I think, you know, we already covered this earlier, but I don't think anything that the Warriors could do coming into the trade deadline makes them better than they are now because they're already looking like the best team in the league right now without all their pieces. So why would you go and, and change it? You know, sure. I think if everyone comes back healthy and James Wiseman gets some run and, and we lose in the postseason to like a Brooklyn or maybe even to the, to the Phoenix Suns in the Western Conference Finals. Sure. Maybe in the offseason you think about, all right, you know, maybe we will trade Wiseman or do something like that. But I think with this group and what they've been able to accomplish so far, uh, given the constraints and where they're at and where they're headed and where they are in the standings, why would you do anything? You, you really don't need to do anything like, yeah, it'd be nice to upgrade Bielitsa, but at the same time, you know, Bielitsa for a stretch of eight minutes could put up like 12 points. Um, yeah. And there's not a lot of players who you could, who you could say, oh man, this guy's going to come in and score. Um, that's, that's making a veteran minimum deal. So I just think that based on the salary cap and where the team is and the, the assets that they have, you know, why change anything, you know, don't break it. Don't break it. If, uh, if not, if it's not um, already broken. Totally. And yeah, Sam, it would be a different story if they didn't run off these eight wins in a row, right? Like totally. if they stayed 500 yeah. the entire time, Steph's still slumping and it looks just because the team's stuck in the mud. They're having a hard time. Uh, Poole and Wiggins aren't adjusting to Clay well. Clay's just chucking away. Like it looked for a second, it was like, oh, I could, I could see through these very pessimistic glasses of mine. I could be like, oh my goodness. Like maybe there is more, pro- there are more problems here, but they figured it out. They write, they righted it. They righted the ship. And yeah, it's a bummer we don't get to see Draymond with Clay and Steph before the trade deadline passes. And if we knew that Wiseman was going to be out as long as he is, they probably would have tried to get more of a big body to supplement Looney as well, rather than a Bielitsa. But right now they're making do with what they have. Looney's trying to step up to the task. And if they can just make it to the playoffs in one piece, they wouldn't be playing a backup big a lot of times because it would be Draymond at the five or exactly. And that's basically it. So all we got to do is get there. And it's exciting to see them continue to get better, even as they're working out these kinks. Yeah, that that stretch where they were where they were a five hovering around five hundred and playing some pretty poor basketball and not shooting threes well and Steph Curry slumping. I'm I'm with you. If that had bled into sub five hundred ball, I think coming into the trade deadline there would have been more discourse to be had and more options to be considered and more guys' roles potentially being questioned, but they, you know, incredible what good three-point shooting could really do to right the ship. 
and yeah, you rip off an Ada win streak and you're still without Draymond and just feeling like Clay's starting to hit his stride. Um, yeah, you know, and I mean, and I mean, Clay Thompson just looks better than ever. I'm gonna have to come out and say it. I mean, the <laughs> the role in which he's playing in is unlike any version of Clay we've seen previously. Um, you know, bringing up Clay Thompson, getting a defensive rebound, bringing the ball up the floor, taking it into the teeth of the defense and transition, and then kicking it out to an open three-point shooter to score. We never would have seen Clay Thompson do something like that. Um, yeah. in his pre, but you know, before pre-injury clay, um, he would have just given it to Curry or whoever was the de facto point guard, Draymond Green, and just run down the floor to catch and shoot a three, which was totally fine. But you just see how this team has a different look and feel and how different pieces are able to, to all kind of interchangeably fill that role of get a rebound, get out in transition, initiate the offense, get it out to an open shooter. Anyone can do that. Could be Looney, could be Bielitsa, could be Draymond, could be Clay, could be Curry, could be Damian Lee, could be Jordan Poole, could be Andrew Wiggins. It's not, <laughs> we're not like restricted on certain guys in certain roles. As long as you have the skill set and you're able to do it, then go do it. Um, yeah. Clay Thompson as a passer is incredible. The <laughs> game where he had those three behind the back passes, he's had now two games with six plus assists, um, six against Dallas and seven last night against Sacramento. Yeah, it has been really cool to see Clay develop as a passer. And it's it's really needed because this team actually does need more playmaking. They've got a lot of, not, I'm not going to say system guys, they've got a lot of guys who play within the flow of the offense. But other than Steph and Poole, I mean, one of the reasons we kind of went into that slump in mid-January was that, oh, without Draymond, there is a real inertia. No one's actually starting anything. So seeing Clay dip into that bag, start making plays, make these passes. It's a really nice release valve for the offense. It's good to see his game go. And it also stops from one of the not worrying because, you know, it's his first, it's his first games back after a two year absence. Of course he's going to do it. But those first few games, he was monopolizing the ball. Like there was no movement, like he would get it and it was going up and it was either going up through a three or he was driving in and taking really tough mid-rangers or shots at the rim and he's starting to relax and play more within the feel of the offense and that helped Poole and Wiggins figure out how they're going to play with him now in the team and it's all starting to trickle out to the rest of it yeah totally like the Sacramento game he had 20 points at halftime where it looked like he was going to go nuclear um, nuclear clay you know go for the record where he had 37 in the quarter against Sacramento and the second half, you know, he only had three points. So it just goes to show that he's not like one dimensional. Nobody on this team is like one dimensional where it's like, yeah, I was just, I hit six threes in the first half. That's nice. You know, if I have more open looks, I'll take them. But also I'm happy to get my teammates involved as well. Yeah. Oh, it was so fun to see him hit those threes last night and to go truly like clay on fire for the first time was, I mean, it was so thrilling, so thrilling to see. And I got to say, Sam, like we're talking about clay's passing, but Steph playing like true, true point guard without Draymond has been so fun to watch. And some of those passes he hit to clay in the first half last night, going through like whizzing by King's ears and like, off of the tips of other players' fingers and hitting Clay right in the pocket 
cross court as it was amazing. He's such a good passer. And one of the reasons we went on this win streak, even though Steph is still climbing out of his slump is because just because he wasn't making his threes does not mean that Steph suddenly turned into a bad ball player. He was still very, very good at nearly everything. He just wasn't hitting it at a clip we're used to. He was still running the show. He was still great at passing. He was still getting rebounds. He was still setting screens and moving around with the same level of urgency. So that's, and that's what makes him different than these other guys or these other shooters is that he can be shooting, you know, 38% from the year or 30% in the month and still be a really effective MVP caliber player because of everything else he does too. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, I will say, I think one of the biggest things that's helped us hit this eight game win streak though, I think is three point shooting as a team. Um, just an interesting stat per NBA.com for the Golden State Warriors in the last eight games, 42.4% of their points have come from uh, three-pointers, which is the most in the NBA. Second to Portland at 42 and third to Boston at 39. So just as a team, because that's that's kind of the challenge here with this read and react offense. Um, The only downside is, you know, the Don Nelson... Um, tenant of a shot created must be taken and Mm -hmm. so you create these open looks and you got to take them and if you're not hitting them I mean (laughs) that's the offense right we don't have like sure you post up Wiggins right and that's a great option but you're not going to post up Wiggins for 40 points a game Um, and so the Damian Lee missed threes the Moody missed threes the pool missed threes like there wasn't much we could do when we're not hitting threes and then you see the Warriors withstand like 20 turnover nights where they give up like 30 points off turnovers because they're hitting 15, 16, 17, 18 threes in a game. Um, And it's great to see that it's not just Curry and Thompson doing that. Um, And I do totally agree that Curry has really, you know, he's always had these skills. That's just the amazing thing about him. He does whatever he wants to on the floor is Mm -hmm. he could be a point guard. He could be a shooting guard. He can be both. He's, he does what it takes to win um, and mm-hmm. helps his team in whatever way they need him to offensively, defensively. Uh, he's willing to buy in, sacrifice his body, put himself, put everything on the line. And, you know, it's really incredible to see all of that come together and then see, you know, from the top down, everyone buy into that system. Yeah, definitely. And that's, that's a great stat. And what I love about that is that Portland and Boston those aren't winning teams. Portland, definitely not. Boston getting a little bit better. That's not necessarily like the potential for winning. It's all the other things the Warriors are doing too. And you know, people treat three-point shooting as if it's just like, yep, it's he shoots 40 or 50%. So that means every 10 shots, four or five are going to go in. And they treat it as if it has nothing to do with the game being played. But you notice that when the, when the offense gets sluggish and they're not stopping anyone on defense, the three stop falling too because of yeah. how it's connected with everything else and how the flow somehow stops. It's how you get in that Houston Conference Finals back in 2018. You know, they, they miss every single shot, even though they're supposed to make it. Statistically, they're supposed <laughs> to make it. But the reality of play comes in. So... I credit the Warriors for and Kerr for like, let's figure out how to get these, the players going again 
and what we need to do, what lineup changes do we have to make? Because it's not just going to naturally come around. We've got to jumpstart it a little bit. And that's what the Warriors do. They play so organically that when they're humming, that's when their threes are hitting. And what we've noticed with, you know, the Warriors systems in the past is that they need to figure out what to do when that system isn't humming. How do they figure out activity to get themselves back into it? And that's why these, this stretch is so important because they're figuring that out. It's not happening in the playoffs for the first time. Yeah. And then that's where the play of like Looney, Gary Payton and Wiggins has been so incredible because they are this incredible mix of either points in the paint or from three. Um, they don't take a lot of mid-range. And so I love watching Looney and Gary Payton just continuously psych guys out under the rim. How is it that the six foot three Gary Payton is getting these catches under the rim and he just lulls the defender to sleep at point blank range and still gets these shots off? Same with Kavon Looney. But, you know, yeah. a couple times Looney gets like force fed the ball in the post or he grabs an O-board and there's like three defenders around him. And it's like pump fake, wait, wait. OK, <laughs> go up when they least expect it. Um, yeah, it's pretty wild. I wonder if Peyton's uh, getting some big man training in with Wiseman and Looney and everyone like practicing his post moves and his uh, his skill around the basket. It's pretty seriously. wild. Here's something. I mean, I'm excited for All-Star Weekend. It's wild that JTA is going to be in the dunk contest and he's had some great in-game dunks, but I'm not even sure if he's a top three dunker on the Warriors, let alone. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. uh, Draymond Green on his podcast recently got pretty upset that Kaminga wasn't invited and he even went as far as calling Kaminga to ask him for an explanation. Um, (laughs) Kaminga's response was kind of funny. He said that, he needs to get warmed up in the game and he doesn't really have anything flashy in his like bag of tricks. So he wouldn't have even wanted to have done the dunk contest if he was invited. And then he comes out in Sacramento and does this incredible 180 dunk transition is just like, are you sure about that dude? Cause you've got some pretty nasty dunks. Yeah. Maybe he'll do it when he's 22 years old. Maybe he'll do it then. I do think um, Kaminga getting snubbed from the rising stars though was a pretty big miss by the NBA. Yeah. It's kind of like, what are they, what are they trying to do? Like, is it like a statistical reward? Like, are they trying to choose the best players? Are they trying to choose the rising stars? I mean, media bias. Yeah. It's a little weird, but he's got next year to prove it too, to get in. Exactly. I think, I think it's going to help just continue to light the fire under him. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Here's my dream. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, go ahead. Here's, I know we're probably coming up on time, but here's my dream Warriors dunk contest would be, let's put in JTA, Kaminga, Gary Payton II, and then Andrew Wiggins. I would watch that on, I would watch that dunk contest on its own. Yeah, no, uh, no complaints from me here. That would be quite something to watch. I think even though Kaminga and Wiggins have had like flashier highlights, I still think Gary Payton's my favorite dunker on the Warriors. And that's probably just short King bias, but that's okay. Yeah, I think JTA got a lot of attention for the poster on McGee, but Payton... Oh, that's right. Oh my gosh. Payton's just also put in work and... 
Kaminga just goes through people. I just don't, he just sheds defenders. Like he goes up into the air and nobody's able to hang with him. Um, but Peyton throws down some thunderous dunks for being yeah. such a small guy. So I think that would have been more entertaining just for the his size. Oh, um, yeah. But yeah, you know, there's it's always such weird media bias and, and unknown criteria that goes into those decisions. But one thing we it's haven't also even... the players want to, right? Like Kaminga right, and Wiggins didn't true. really want to, so they're not going to. JTA, it's a big chance. I was listening to a, the Draymond Green podcast. We can plug that because that's also a great podcast. But um, he was saying JTA was wondering if he wanted to go. And he was like, heck yeah, you should go. This is the big stage. Like, this is your chance. And I love that attitude too. Like, go for it. Why not? Try to make it. Worst thing yeah. that happens is that what Harrison Barnes did the slam dunk contest, right? And he didn't do anything and no one remembers. So no big deal. Yeah, exactly. One thing we haven't even touched on is all-star wigs. All-star starter Wiggins, baby. All-star Wiggins. That's, I'm not going to lie, Sam. That's pretty nuts. <laughs> all-star starter over Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Carl Anthony Towns, Rudy Gobert. I mean, over Draymond Green. It's Draymond kinda, Green. It's kind of wild, you know, but good for good for them. You know, I, it's he's definitely played so well this year. Everyone's hurt with injuries, so this was his chance. And I love what the, it's saying about the Warriors organization, which is why I think there was such a fan push behind it rather than a push for Draymond Green, who, you know, objectively and everything else is a much more important and better player for the Golden State Warriors and the National Basketball Association of all. But showing that you could be this miserable player in frozen Minnesota on a terrible contract, you come to the city by the bay, like come over here and we'll make you a freaking all-star. We'll like shine you up. That's, I mean, that's pretty powerful recruiting going forward. Yeah. I mean, Wiggins deserved it, man. He's uh he's put up some of the best put up some of the best numbers of his career playing, you know, two-way wigs, continuously defend some of the opponents uh best guard and uh wing players, um, career high in three-point percentage, you know, numbers numbers offensively kind of come and go now that Clay is back into the fold. But mm-hmm. I think shot attempts are, you know, I don't need to dive too much into his numbers, but I just think that, you know, his play is a big reason why the Warriors have been afloat without Draymond Green. Him and Looney have really anchored the defense. Yeah. And um, and that's what made the uh, San Antonio win so all the more impressive because it's like, oh, man, no Wiggins. Yeah. What are we going to do? Because um, he's been one of the more reliable low post and attacking the rim generate his own offense kind of scores like everything that we've talked about this read and react you know offense being created and all of that Wiggins is like one of the lone guys and I think I'd throw Kaminga in that category too where you just give him the ball and he just does his own thing he doesn't need you you know you set a screen he's like no I'm gonna reject the screen I don't even need your help let me just get to the rim and do my thing yeah and you know it's really comforting knowing when we do need a bucket that They can go to him on the post. He can find the mismatch. Usually it is a mismatch because the better defender is guarding, you know, Steph or Clay or somebody else. So he's got those opportunities. And yeah, I noticed it too when that Spurs game, it's like, oh, wow, no Wiggins. Okay, that's a blow. And 
ever since he got selected as an all-star, he started going on a tear, kind of like after the Minnesota game when he had that incredible dunk over Cat, and it was like, oh, he started playing well after that or playing even better after that. He seems to, like, every time he reaches a little level, the team pumps him up, and he's like, oh, yeah, maybe I could play like this, like, consistently rather than when I'm kind of feeling like it. So I'm excited to see his evolution. I'm a little less high. I don't know how someone who could be, like, the fourth most important player on the Warriors could be an all-star starter. But I mean, I'm all with it. Like I'm with the two-way wigs. I, I see his impact and I'm excited to watch him keep growing. I'm, I'm more like amused at the power of the Bay Area fan base. <laughs> well, it just goes to show for where they are in the standings and the number of games missed by Clay and Draymond, you know, Wiggins, contributed a larger percentage into those wins than than those guys even if you take a step back and say well what does this mean for the playoffs he is really like fourth in the pecking order but yeah what he's contributed thus far you know he's been the next most important player after curry and the consistency is you know you can't underrate it you can't underrate him showing up every game, not taking plays off on defense and showing, you know, showing up when it, I'm not going to say when it matters, because he has a tendency to kind of disappear in the fourth quarter sometimes, but yeah. you know, those first three quarters, he keeps us in the game. So doesn't get in foul trouble. Doesn't commit a lot of yeah. turnovers. The only knock on him is free throw shooting. Yeah. Everything else has just been outstanding. Yeah. I need the, that stat you threw it out last time we talked about the Warriors free throwing is like, I need that to bump up a little bit, but they, the Spurs game, they showed they could. So makes difference. Yeah, it's actually been a little bit better. Um, the free throws, they've climbed a little bit into the, back into the teens instead of like the, uh, the twenties, as far as league rank and league rank from free throw range. Um, Jordan Poole has been more aggressive. He's, I think he's made like 31 free throws in a row um he's actually the best free throw shooter in the league right now by percentage he's That's got like pretty a wild a hundredth or a tenth percent above curry um so that's been good Kaminga's free throws continue to like ebb and flow a little bit clay thompson has not missed a free throw since he returned um yeah, yeah. so free throws are looking a little bit better um Defensive rating still number one. Offensive rating has moved up a little bit. In this uh, eight-game win streak, we're actually number two in offensive rating and number eight in defensive rating. Um, but I think that also has to do with uh, the Celtics have been playing really well defensively. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. still getting wins because our offense has really come along for the ride. Yeah. You know, and there, there's a little bit in this win streak of playing to the opponent a bit. They haven't crushed teams. That's why the Kings game last night was so fun, was that they really did, like, jump out to a big lead. And the Kings made a run in the end, but the Warriors are pretty comfortably in control the entire time. For the most part, it's been kind of playing to the level and doing what they need to do to win while working out their own kinks. But this team, with what – with the Draymond absence, like this team can defend. I'm not worried about that. They've got guys who will go to the mat and make sure that the other team doesn't score. And when they need to get a stop, they do. It's, it's been cool. Yeah. hundred um, percent. Really excited to see what this looks like with Draymond back. Continue to watch Moody and Kaminga development. 
more Clay Thompson dimes and more Splash Bros dominance. Heck some yeah. more two-way wigs play, some Gary Payton thunderous dunks. I'm ready for it. Bring on. I'm ready for the all-star game. I'm ready for the stretch run. I'm ready to see this team get even better. I think. haven't even really talked about Jordan Poole and all of his swag and how he just continues to hum along and do his thing. I've been loving what he's been doing and his adjustment into that six man role and just still, but still being able to have an impact when he's on the floor um, and look really good doing it too. (laughs) Yeah. He just plays with a type of swag that's unlike anyone else. And it's funny to watch him. Um, when he's on the bench he's a crazy guy for sure he's doing all sorts of crazy stuff like with his face and his tongue and it's dancing <laughs> I don't know if, you, if you follow the golden state warriors reddit they're always tweeting um after the wins um the dance that they all do mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I, I love that i savor that moment every time and i always get a good totally. laugh that. i've watched it so many times and jordan Poole is absolutely like the star of that video it's great yeah. it's a nice little bit of like youthful swagginess that brings along the young guys and also i think they like that he can go toe to toe with the old heads not in terms of talent but in terms well maybe in talent not in terms of on-court production but in like yeah he'll bite back a little bit he will shoot the ball he isn't afraid of the moment and it's a nice bridge between the young the young the babies and the old heads for sure yeah, like he says, uh, Paul said that Wiggins said he's got no hops. So he's like, no, I gotta, sh- I gotta show Wiggins I got some hops, man. They say I can't jump. <laughs> he's gotta go in for those dunks. Yeah, gotta prove it. I love it. I love this team, man. It's maybe my favorite one since the fifteen sixteen title and seventy three win ones. They're fantastic to watch. Hundred percent, and that that Spurs win um, just just really just culminated everything that we talked about on this pod about how incredible this team is coming together. And when the Vegas odds were stacked up against them, the the Spurs had a 98% chance to win the game up by 15 with nine minutes left to the fourth. And the Warriors still somehow pulled that off. So it's wild. Um, the future is bright. There's more pieces to come. Uh, fingers crossed for some for no news as being good news coming up, coming into the trade deadline, but who knows? We'll see. Maybe there's something that happens that yeah. uh, can still be net positive, you know, but I have faith in Bob Myers in this front office that they're going to do what they think is best for this team. And I'm not going to sit here and try and pretend like I'm a GM and I know what other GMs are saying and what they're, how they're evaluating players and talent. Like everyone on Twitter seems to think that they know better than everyone else. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> Well, cool, man. Um, really great to have you on. Any kind of closing thoughts or anything? I'm going to nah, have man, some I, nice quiet time off the next three days. Yeah, I think we covered it. I hope they. I hope the Warriors have a nice break. I hope they get a chance to practice. Hope that Draymond and Wiseman come back eventually and just excited for more Warriors basketball. Couldn't agree more, man. Alrighty. You have a good weekend, Corey. It's great to All have right, you back you on the too, show. Sam. I'll catch you later. Take care. Hey guys, quickly before we sign off, we want to also remind you all to use coupon code HoopBall20 at Manscaped.com for 20% off your order and free shipping. And also to check out our pals at MyBookie.ag. Use code HoopBall on the third page of sign up to unlock deposit match bonuses there as well. 
Once again, this has been a Sports Ethos presentation of the We Believe Golden State Warriors basketball podcast. I'm your host, Sam Orlick. You can follow me on Twitter at SD Orlick. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show. We'll see you for the next one. Take care, guys. Thank you.